Well, good morning, everyone. If honesty is the best policy, then here's the honesty. I do not feel good today at all. Um, I have seen nothing but a pillow the last three days. Some of you are like, oh, wouldn't that be great? No, it's not great. And so uh, I'm going to be sitting up here today. And so those of you in back, if you can't see me, maybe that's okay uh, this morning. Um, I usually walk around quite a bit, but uh, this morning I, I don't have a lot of energy. But we'll walk through God's word together. That's the good thing about this morning, that God's word is always good. And uh, we'll walk through it together. I want to ask you a question this morning. Uh, what kind of movies do you like to watch? Uh, some of us here like the genre of comedy. How many comedy people do we have here? Like, oh, man, I love a good comedy. Uh, suspense people. Anybody, suspense thrillers. Good. Okay. Drama. Not you, but the movie. Drama. Okay. Uh, horror. Any horror people here? You're weird. You're just weird. Okay. And Hallmark. How many Hallmark people do we have here? Be honest. You're kidding me. That makes me want to go back to bed early. Um, I'm a suspense thriller guy. I, I love the ins and outs, the twists and turns, the ups and downs of a good movie. Um, I love to just try to figure out the, the plot and, and the motive behind what's going on. I, I am always questioning, well, how's this working? How's it going on? I guess I, I like suspense thrillers because um, it keeps me guessing. I like movies that keep me guessing. But I don't like that for my life. I don't know of anybody that likes that for their life. Especially when it comes to uh, suffering. Especially when it comes to uh, pain. Um, hardship that comes into our life. That we find ourselves saying, I have no idea why this is happening to me. And it doesn't seem like God is revealing this to me. We are starting a six-week series today talking about suffering talking about hardship, talking about pain. We are looking uh, at the person of Job. We are calling it out of darkness. And what we want to, uh, what you can expect from this series is, is just this. We are all going to face times of suffering. Now some suffering we put in on ourselves, don't we? We see the results and we see the consequences that happen when we sin. That's not the kind of suffering that we're going to talk about in this, in this series. But that is one form of suffering. There's the other form of suffering that things happen in our life that we can't put our thumb on. Things happen that we find ourselves saying, Lord, what are you trying to accomplish in my life? Why is this going on? What is your purpose? Are you really being glorified by this? But here's the reality. We will all go through suffering in our life. Second, God has not abandoned us in our season or seasons of darkness. He is there. And though he may seem silent, though he may seem distant, he's there. And that's what he wants us to do is to call and call and call on him. During that time when we can't seem to figure out why this is going on in our life. Maybe you're thinking of something already. Third, God has a purpose in our suffering, even if we don't see it. He always has a purpose for what he does. He always has a purpose to, for the good of his people and the glory of his name. It's always been and always will be about his glory. So he has a plan. 
He has a purpose, even though we may not see it. And you may not see it until the other side of the tombstone. And then fourth, others may not understand our suffering and may, not even, and, and may even say hurtful or ignorant or have an unbiblical view on suffering. There are some people that just do not understand when we go through a time of suffering. And you'll see that as we walk through Job. And if you've had any opportunity to read through the book of Job, it's a long book. And a lot of it has to do with Job's friends. So we're just going to take six weeks on it together. Meet me, if you would, in Job. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Job chapter 1, we're going to take a look at the first five verses. And we're going to look at Job's character and Job's family. This is the upside of the passage this morning. Job chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He prospered, and he possessed seven sheep, or 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Couple things that we learn here about Job that we need to know right up front. He is a blameless and upright man. This does not mean that he's sinless. This does not mean that he's perfect. It does mean that he has a godly conscience. And that godly conscience flows over into his behavior, it flows over into righteous obedience and integrity. Someone has said, Character is who you are when no one is watching. I believe that's true. But character is also who you are when everyone is watching. There's a public and private display of integrity in Job's words, in his actions, and his attitude. He was blameless and upright. A godly conscience that flowed over into his lifestyle. Second, we see that he feared God. A reverence, a respect that he had for God of the utmost. And this is key. His worship and the depth of his worship will be how he responds when calamity comes into his life. Remember that as we walk through this six weeks, that Joseph or that that Job's um, just had a blank here. Job's worship in the Lord was deep enough that he remained true to the Lord in the midst of calamity in the midst of hardship. Also, he turned away from evil. He doesn't want to live just a normal life or a moral life. He's set on living a holy life. Now, Job was not sinless in regards to his vertical relationship with the Lord, but he was upright and blameless in regards to his horizontal relationship with others. People were watching Job, and there was no false accusation that they could make against Job at all. He was that upright and that righteous. His reputation was impeccable. And he was an incredible father of 10. 
10 kids, uh, seven sons, three daughters. He had a five-on-five basketball league going. I'm sure he did. He was incredible. He had a slew of animals, 7,000, what's it say? 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. The guy's got a zoo. He really does. And many servants. And you do the math, that's 11,000 animals that he has. So Job is a proud father of 10. And it mentions that he is the greatest of all the people of the East regarding his wealth. And if you took time to read through the book of Job, you would see what Job does with all of his wealth. He does not hoard it. I was just working through that this week, part of the week. It says he rescued the needy. He cared personally for the handicapped and the dying. He brought orphans into his home. He even took the power mongers of the day into court and argued the case for the underprivileged. Job was an incredible individual. It seems that Job and his family got along and they were happy. Well, how do I know that? Well, verse 4. Look at verse 4. They happily celebrated special days. It was, they called it uh, each of his appointed day. Uh, I think it's their birthdays that they were all celebrating. And they would invite each other over and celebrate those times. Now, there's no hint of drunkenness and there's no hint of immorality or depravity going on during this time. But Job wants to make sure that his children and his life is so upright that he kind of plays the priest of the family. And so after these birthdays, after these events, he would go and make a sin offering according to the sacrificial system of the law, a, sac- a, 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 a sin offering to the Lord for the atonement or for the forgiveness of sin for his children. And he would, inter- he would pray for them. There's intercession. And he would pray and pray and pray for them, for the forgiveness of sin. If we stopped right there, we would have to say that Job was a pretty amazing individual. Uh, he loved his family. He was wealthy. He feared the Lord. He was upright, blameless before the Lord. And he prayed and prayed and prayed for his kids. I want to just speak to a moment to you parents. Never, ever give up on your kids. Never. There will be a point in time, and maybe it's happened already, where you're, you're not able to be with your kids every single second of the day. And your kids are going to make choices, and you're not going to be around to try to help them and steer them through that process. There's going to be times when we have to be willing to release our children And when we release them, we find ourselves saying, what do I do now? Pray, pray, pray for your kids. That they would honor the Lord. That they would walk with the Lord. That they would have a a blameless and upright respect for the Lord. When your kids get older and they move out of the house, praise God. But when they they go out of the house and, and you think, oh Lord, help them to make the right choices. Help them to make the right decisions in life. Pray for them and let them know you're praying for them. I believe Job did that. I'm I'm reminded of the true story of a father 
that would pray every day with his kids before they went to school. And so the father would be upstairs and he would be shaving and doing his thing. And uh, we've got a slide here. There we go. And I just don't want to do this for doing this sake. And uh, uh, he was shaving. And when he got done shaving, he would, he would put the, that Old Spice aftershave on. He'd slap it on his face and rub it on his hands. And he'd walk downstairs and he would grab the hands of his kids. He'd say, let's pray today before you go to school. And he would do that day after day after day. And those kids would say over the years when they wanted to do something wrong, when they wanted to cheat on a test, when they wanted to go someplace they shouldn't have, when they wanted to say something that they shouldn't have said, do something they shouldn't have done, and they wondered, how how should I respond? All they had to do was smell their hands. And it reminded them of their father. Parents, pray, pray, pray like Job did for your kids. Well, we see a turn here all of a sudden. But what Job doesn't know is that there was a day when his name was brought up, not on earth, but in heaven. And like a movie that pans away from Job and turns now and goes up to the heavens where there is a confrontation going on, between Satan and God. We will call this round one that we see. And this this, uh, confrontation that we see going on, round two will be next week in Job chapter two that Adam really will share with us. But listen to what it says in verses six to 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that Job has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. A couple things that we want to talk about here. Uh, Job is not in this conversation. Job doesn't even know this conversation is going on. It's taking place in heaven. Uh, This is a side note is the reason why we will need a new heaven because right now Satan has access to heaven. He comes in according to uh, Revelation 12, night and day accusing the brethren, making false accusations against us before the Lord. And Satan is doing this night and day. And so he comes with his demons, the third of the demons that have fallen, and comes in and has this confrontation with God. And the dialogue goes something like this. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Uh, The Lord is demanding uh, to know what Satan's business is throughout the earth. Notice Satan doesn't tell him. He just says in verse 7, I'm going to and fro on the earth. It's interesting how Scripture complements each other. Because in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
What is the enemy doing prowling around? What is the enemy doing going to and from throughout the earth? He is casting doubt on believers. He is deceiving believers. He is making accusation against believers. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now, I always think there's humor in Scripture. And I'm thinking, why in the world is God bringing Job up? Now, Job's not a part of this conversation, but if Job was there, I can imagine Job saying, no, 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 don't don't get me involved in this. (laughs) I don't want any part in what you guys are talking about. Why does God say, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless. He's an upright man. He turns from evil. He fears me. Why does he say this? Is this a test of some sort? A showdown, if you will, and Job is right in the middle of it? Why is God saying this? Have you ever considered that? Why would God, of all people, say, have you considered my servant Job? I believe that God sees Job and sees and has a confidence in Job that he knows that no matter what is thrown at Job, Job will remain strong and Job will remain upright whether he is wealthy or whether he is not, whether he is children or whether he does not, that God has so much confidence in Job that he's saying, you know what? Have you considered him? He is upright. And he will stand. His faith will remain even in the midst of calamity. I want to ask you that question this morning. When your faith is tested, when you go through a, sorry, when your balance is tested, when your faith is tested, do you find that you will stay true? When you are going through a time of suffering, a time of heartache, a time of pain in your life, and you think, what is going on here? Why is this happening, Lord? Show me, show me, show me. Will you stay true no matter what, even if you don't know why? When that storm rolls in, you feel like you're in darkness, and he seems silent. The Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says to the Lord, does Job fear God for no reason? In other words, look around. Why wouldn't he obey you? I mean, the guy's wealthy. He's got all these kids. He's got a zoo. The guy's got everything. He is only serving you for what he can, what he can get. You take all that away, you take that hedge of protection down, and he will curse you right to your face. See, the Lord knows something that Satan doesn't know. He is sovereign. God is sovereign, and he sees Job's life, and he sees from the beginning to the end of Job's life, and he sees that Job will remain true. But Satan doesn't know that. Satan is not all-knowing. He's limited in what he can do. The Lord to Satan says, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. In other words, don't kill him. Don't touch him. I'm going to read this. God gives 
Satan limited permission and access to afflict Job. The hedge of protection is coming down. And Satan has the power and desire, power and desire to affect Job all along. But he did not have the permission. Do you get that? He had the ability to affect Job all along, but he did not have permission from God. Every permission, every allowance, every request must first pass through the hands of the living God. He is sovereign over all. And though Satan is now able to attack Job in a much greater way than before, his power ultimately is limited. God only allowed Satan to do what he wanted to do because it would ultimately serve for God's overarching purpose, plan, and glory. We may not understand the reason why we go through something, but if it is for God's glory, I'm okay with that. Even though I may not know why God has allowed this to happen in my life or someone else's life. This confrontation with Satan was not for God to glorify the devil, but to glorify himself by making Satan an instrument of, of his own shame and disgrace when all of this is done. And so Satan goes out from the presence of God. And what we see happening is these verse, this, this word. Now, there was a day, and we don't know if it was immediately, we don't know if it was weeks later, months later, but there was a day. And we see Job's catastrophic loss here in verses 13 to 19. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck, them, struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there was another who came and said, The Chaldeans formed, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the donkeys and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking... There came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great, wine, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Four catastrophic losses. It's hard for us to put ourselves in these shoes. I mean, this is a major catastrophic loss of oxen, donkeys, and servants uh, we see across the board. Uh, Job doesn't even have time to respond. He doesn't even have time to catch his breath before somebody else comes in and says, uh, this has happened, and this has happened, and this has happened. And the last one, Job's children are killed in verse 18. You know, there are some of you here today that have gone through suffering. And there are some of you here today that are currently going through some kind of suffering. Or you have watched someone go through suffering. And sometimes what is going on internally and the tears and the unknowing is so unsettling for us 
Because we want an answer of why this is happening. Whether it is cancer or some kind of sickness or whether it's divorce or addiction, a hardship in a marriage, depression, emotional abuse, abortion, unexpected deaths, and the heartache and the pain and suffering is almost too much to bear. This is not a message that we would find ourselves just glowing about. But this is a message that we have to come back and say, where are my roots? Where are my spiritual roots? Because my relationship with the Lord, the depth of my relationship with the Lord would determine how I react and how I respond when calamity comes in my life. You know, we, uh, we have a number of people in our church that have lost loved ones. And last year we started uh, what is called Grief Share. And there were many, many people that came to Grief Share uh, who have lost loved ones, the death of a spouse, a child, a family member, a friend. And uh, we are doing that again this year. And uh, the very first one is February 5th, right here at Maranatha Bible Church. Last year, we had people from our church and people that came outside of our church. It was a wonderful time to minister to one another. And maybe you are struggling right now in your time of suffering. And you're uh, struggling in that dark time. And maybe this is something that you would consider to be a part of. Maybe go with a friend who also maybe has lost a loved one. And just to be ministered to, to, to find kind of yourself and to, to kind of recognize that God's not done with you and it's not done with your life. And that even though that, that sorrow was there, that God is working his plan through what is going on. And so I'd encourage you to get one out, a brochure at the Welcome Center uh, on Grief Share. Let's look at verses 20 to 22 because this is the crux to me of all of Job, um, are these verses. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and said, you have got to be kidding me. This absolutely stinks. Is that what it says? Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, turned on God, and shook his fist in the air towards God. Is that what it says? No, but that's what we maybe do. Our response when we don't understand a calamity that's happened in our life, we want to respond by saying, what are you doing? But notice what he does. He tears his robe, shaves his head. It's a a sign of mourning. It's a sign of sorrow. And he falls to the ground. Let's together say this. What does he do? He what? Worships. He worships. Friends, let me just tell you that this is not only amazing to me, but this is also convicting to me. That here's a man that was, everything was just stripped away from him. And he goes and he bows and he worships his Lord. This is very convicting. Because I would find myself hemming and hawing around and upset and telling everybody about it. And why isn't God showing up? And what what is he doing? And maybe it's not to the extent that Job went through, but you have your times and so do I. 
when we want to say, what is going on? And he fell to the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. In other words, I didn't bring anything into this world. And naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Who says that? Who says that? Someone whose relationship with the Lord is so deep, so deep, that he would recognize and say, whatever I had during this lifetime, the Lord gives, but the Lord also takes away. I mean, how many of you are good at the Lord giving? Uh, how many, just raise your hand, how many of you are giving? Giving of sickness? Are you okay with that now? You know, not, no, no, I was thinking another giving. How many of you are good with him taking away? Taking away, you're like, no, I'm not good with that. Taking away a sin? Oh, yeah, I'm good with that. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Um, everything Job has, he sees as a blessing from the bounty of God. If he had... If, if he now has less, it was still more than he came into the world with and more than he would take with him in the world beyond. And how surprised do you think the enemy was in hoping that Job would blaspheme the Lord, but he hears him worshiping and blessing God's name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is a man that has roots that are deep. Job recognized the giving hand of God, but also the taking hand of God. He did not say, listen, I earned all of this. This was all mine. It took everything I worked for. Everything's gone. No. Throughout this whole book, do not forget, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. That's amazing. That's that's amazing. This isn't just some made-up story. This is true. And it convicts me because I ask myself, how do I handle those uncertainties in my life? Do I say, hey, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away And when there's calamity in my life, do I reach out to him or do I turn from him? Do I embrace him or do I push him away? Do I go and grab onto his hands and say, this is my father? Or do I say, I don't need him? Four things to keep in mind this morning in regards to all of this. Four heart checks when we find ourselves in the darkness of suffering. Number one, the enemy took physical Uh, took physical possessions from Job, which he never got back. He took close relationships from Job, which he never got back. He stripped emotional stability from Job, which he never got back. But the enemy couldn't take the spiritual foundation away that Job had with his God. This will help us to determine how much we hold on to our stuff. And how many of you want to be like Job? How many of us say, bring it on? I love a good suffering. I don't. But when it comes, 
may I embrace him. May I love him. May I strive to be blameless whether or not I know the outcome. Number two is the strength of our lives in times of suffering is not in what we have or what we lose, but in what we gain in putting our trust in God. Hold on to that today. It's not in what we have, it's not in what we lose, but it's what we gain in putting our trust in the Lord. Have you ever said this? I know you're almost afraid to say it. It was the worst time of my life. I went through a time of suffering. I, I couldn't understand it. But I drew closer to the Lord than I've ever in my life. I learned something about myself and I, I leaned on the Lord and I trusted in him more than any other time in my life. That's what God is doing in Job's life. That's what God seeks to do in our lives as well. Number three, who or what we worship will determine the depth of our faith during our times of suffering. <coughs> Being in a season of darkness doesn't necessarily mean you've done wrong, which, was, which, which brought about the pain. And don't let Satan push you away from God or cause you to waver in your faith in God. Who and what you worship will determine the depth of your faith during times of trusting. Yet I will praise him. Who says that? I want to be able to say that. No matter what happens in my life, yet I will praise him. I do not know what will happen a half an hour from now. But if we are deep in our faith and we put our trust in Christ, we will watch in the midst of great times, and in the midst of calamity, we will find ourselves leaning on him. And the last one. Suffering is a reminder to trust God who sees all, even when we do not see the purpose or the outcome for why we or someone we love suffers. Someone in here cannot seem to understand why God took them. And I get it. I get it. I don't understand either. But understand this. God is working out a plan that we do not see. And I'm not just saying that this is some kind of nice Christianese type wording. But God is always about his glory. And what would he do if he chose you? Have you considered my servant James? Have you considered my servant Brad? Have you considered my servant Luke Kramer? Please consider him. Have you considered him? Somewhere, that's God. If that happens, he sees a confidence in me. He sees something in me that he doesn't see in someone else. That I am worthy to suffer for his glory. I can't wrap my head around that, but I know it's for him. And if it will bring him glory, I am okay with that, as hard as it might be. A couple weeks ago, um, we had a funeral here. Stuart Lorenzen, who was a long member here at Maranatha Bible Church, um, many years of cancer and uh, just 
couldn't fight it anymore. And he was okay. He is with the Lord today. Beautiful, beautiful funeral, giving tribute and celebration to his life. There are many that are saying, why, why? I want you to hear what Stuart wrote shortly before his passing. He wrote it to uh, Pastor Persley, our lead pastor. He said, if I could in my carnality flip a switch and be healed, but it would mean that God would not guide my path anymore, would I do it? No way. The cancer is for my good and his glory. Why? As you know, because he said it. I am at best one-dimensional. However, he is infinite in all things. I have to trust in that. He can heal me. And that I have no doubt at all. My faith is there. However, I want healing only if he does. If he is glorified with my journey and potential demise, then I'm all in. Stuart Lorenzen understood that even in the midst of that suffering, if it could be for the glory of God and his name when it is spoken, other people would say there is a man who loved the Lord and suffered well for the glory of God, then we all benefit from that for those of us that know Stuart Lorenzen. Job is that example for us that the depth of our faith determines our reaction and our response when we go through times of calamity. We're gonna sing this morning that song, He Gives and Takes Away. It's easy to sing it, isn't it? But do we really mean it? Lord, you give and you take away. Sometimes I know the reason and sometimes I do not. But you give and take away. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. Father, I'm thinking this morning that there are many sitting in here that as we've walked through this first chapter of Job, Many of us are saying, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the suffering. You don't know the pain that I'm going through. And I do not. But I do know that you will not waste pain. You will not waste suffering. That you will use it ultimately for your glory. And it will get our attention so that we might not turn from you, but trust in you. And so, Lord, as we sing this morning, and as we think about this example of Job, may we find ourselves saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord.